Trey, you know we love hard-hitting journalism to start the fast lane, so we're going to go right at you with confession time. These are my confessions. You get to make confessions. Did you ever storm me? The, yes. Did okay. you ever storm the court or storm the field after a big Virginia Tech win? I, I never stormed the had, field because Justin Winter was, you know, the, <laughs> the big wins I either weren't at. Um, there weren't many. I guess the one game where I was like, I got in my mind we were storming the field was ironically my first game as a student when it was 17 to 14 at half between, you know, the defending national champions Ohio State. In my head, I was like, Oh, I gotta get ready for this. Um, but I did storm the court a couple times, a couple upset wins over Duke and uh, the was it a double, the, the double overtime game between Tech and Virginia in Castle. The most memorable part about it is the London Prentice um, layup that lands perfectly on the backboard and is kind of. Uh, you the know, top of the rim. Yeah, the top of the rim, like on the back of the rim. Yeah, uh, that and, connects to the backboard. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, it, it, you can look up that photo, and it be, kind of became a meme. I stormed the court that night. Um, I stormed the court against Duke uh, on a game where Tech hit a shot with like I, I want to say it was like three seconds left against uh, the Marvin Bagley Duke team. Okay. I can understand that. So, so we'll, we'll we'll get to your opinion on this momentarily. That was the Grayson Allen suspended game, actually. <laughs> uh, we that, that was the game. Because I think that was. I'm pretty. Sh- no, that was during. Uh, no, that that was. I I was not at that game because that was during the holiday break. This was Marvin Bagley, so that'd be the year after the Grayson Allen two weeks one game suspension that Coach K was so strict. So that, yeah, in that imposing. was the year after. But basically, Tech has stormed the court. Either if they upset a very, very good Virginia team or, like, a good Duke-Carolina team. So, my question to you then, because we're going to get through some logistics about the idea of court storming before kind of making the point that we made on our InsaneRadioDeals.com Fast Take uh, just a few moments ago. It's up at Fast Lane, Ed Lane. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can chime in on those platforms as well. We've already gotten some feedback, and we'll get to that around 545 today after ACC basketball analyst and former There have been some coach. dumb takes in this court storming, and I finally get to let this one out. Troy Taylor. Hold, on, hold up. Hold okay, up. Hold give me a second. Up, Trey, right. Trey, gather your thoughts. I already we'll have there. them. I mean, but I mean, hold, hold your horses. That's what I meant to say. Anyway, so, so here's the thing. I've heard with Castle Coliseum, it's different from most college venues because there's a pretty big drop-off. I've been it there. takes a little bit to storm the court at Castle. So, but It does. Which which creates an advantage for security and a warning also, to visiting teams on how to get out of there. Also, the side of the court, like unlike Wake where like Filipowski had to walk through kind of where the storming was oh, to where no, we're discussing Kyle Filipowski who got hit if, after if you the look at the court like win. how he had to exit it was kind of towards the crowd whereas in Castle one the security there if you watch they kind of get themselves and then they form this wall around the players line yes so that, that's, that's one was... that's one thing they do and second the players are basically going in the same direction the fans are because the fans are going if you're looking at it like, I don't know, towards center court, whereas the other end of the court is where everybody's everyone's going in the out. Same, everyone's going in the same direction. And, and, and let me ask you a question, Trey. I never got near a player. Who who do you trust to get from the from one end of the court to the tunnel at the other end faster? 
top shape premium athletes or drunk college fans. Exactly. All, but well, back then they didn't serve alcohol during games, Ed. So yes, I'm sure nobody ever brought it so, in. So, but I will say this also in the you know handshake line, the players are going that way anyway. So by the time they end the handshake line, they're already like. I don't know. The Phil, visiting players visiting, are going that way. Yeah, they're already naturally going that way. It, it seems like Tech handles it very well. Um, they, so they've taken a page out of the, the Virginia yeah. book that I'm going to get to because I, this was my point on the insane radio deals dot com fast. Yeah, Virginia tape. Tech will not even will storm the opposing team's field. They'll storm the opposing team's field, and if you're a Virginia basketball fan or maybe even football fan, you might storm the field and protest of the product that you're watching because it's not very aesthetically appealing. Well, I would say this like. And I'm for court storming. Uh, like Joy Taylor on her show, like maybe made the dumbest take in the history of sports. She said, "Why?" Because her her point of ending court storming was that fans should act like they've won before, and it's like ninety five percent of court stormings are in cases of win wins that a program has either one rarely seen or two never ever seen. Like, for example, a top 10 upset. Like, those aren't, you know, those are rare things. And depending on the program, I mean, it's different if it's like Kentucky storming the court if they beat Vanderbilt. Like, that, no, you don't storm the court there. Or Kentucky after beating Alabama this past weekend. Yeah. You're a program that there's a level but where it's, you should be above it. If, in let's cases. say, BYU upsets Kansas in the Big 12 in their first year in the Big 12. Like, you storm the court. You beat your big rival. Like, you storm the court, especially when they're ranked. Like, she's acting as if every win is the same in college basketball, and it's not. Especially when the disparity between certain teams are wide. Like, beating Duke, if you are Wake Forest is a big win. Beating Duke if you are Syracuse. Uh, not Syracuse is not a good example. If you're Boston College is a good example. Like For all you, the fans that are in you a don't see, unless, You don't see it in Duke, Carolina because that's, you know, Duke, Carolina. Like, it... Both programs are used to things much bigger than an upset of a ranked team in the regular season. I get people with this outcry of, like, wanting it to end. And Seth Greenberg, kind of, who is, you know, the ironically, you know, tied all together, is a you know proponent of the you know court storming, but like a delayed reaction. Um, you know, our good pal Buzz Williams did his best to prevent it by telling his players to go into the stands. Like that was a weird thing. Like for the NIT win against Princeton, would have been my freshman year of college. Um, they went into the stands, so I have a, a, a great photo of me and Buzz Williams from then. Um, but I think Castle's very unique in terms of every student, most of the students that are storming the court either have to go to the sides to get onto the court, or they have to take like the eight-foot drop. There is a built-in delayed reaction to court storming in Blacksburg because you mentioned the drop from Unlike the most courts, which is like... Bum rush. Yeah. Yeah, like Virginia, 
is there easy to storm because there's a whole like they're basket both really because they're both like they're right connected to the floor they are but so so the setup at virginia john paul jones arena is which i've similar. never been in jpj i've been in at cavalier stadium I, I, i've been i've been to all four of the the, the big venues here for division one sports in the commonwealth sorry to liberty but i'm talking about virginia and virginia techs football i have and been in the venues. seagull center multiple times one to graduate but two for a vcu the, game and that's built so, for a so, quick so let, let, let's do a little bit of uh, common sense here in the fast lane when it comes to court storming. And I know that's a lost art in this day and age, but we're going to try to provide it anyway. Football is different because the people that could potentially be hurt by a field storming in football. They're in pads. They're in pads. They're in helmets. And generally, they are substantially bigger and stronger than the people that might be coming after them. So with the rare exception, if you run into, oh, I don't know, I'll use this analogy. If you're an Ole Miss fan who ran into O.J. Howard after Ole Miss upset Alabama, the game that I attended when Ole Miss fans rushed the field, good luck with that. Also, unlike basketball where there's a very sudden in, like football, typically... The clock ticks down. Yeah, like... Typically, it doesn't... It, like, basketball, a lot of times, especially with court storms, it ends on the last play of the game. But in football, like, there's that, you know, there's kind of a natural, like... The only people expect Unless to- it ends on the final kick, like Tennessee, Alabama, typically the team that wins is kneeling the ball out, which kind of allows a natural time for everyone to get set up, if the, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the players are padded, and the, the assistant coaches can leave. Nobody cares. And the yeah, head there's coaches, 700 coaches on the sideline, unlike in basketball. Well, I mean, the assistants can all leave. The head coaches have, like, 5,000 state troopers beside them, so nobody's going to mess with them. I mean, I know some people may be really dumb, but good luck with that, trying to go after a police officer. That's not going to end very well, and I know alcohol can do dumb things, but, uh, I mean, uh, full confession here, again, since we're in the spirit of getting our usher on i may or may not have had a lot to drink in certain instances and at no point was like hmm, maybe it's a good idea to pick on the police officer hmm, never really crossed my mind i know some people who it did never seemed to end well just saying but when it comes to sports tray look there the acc again i know it's easy to dog pile on the acc's leadership or lack thereof in a lot of instances but you have schools that could have easily put a blueprint in place that Wake Forest could have copied and that other schools in the conference could copy. Because I've talked to the security personnel at John Paul Jones Arena. I've spoken with them, and I did it after a game that Virginia ultimately won at home against North Carolina at the end of the game. I just happened to be standing by the court courtside uh, watching the game. And then after the Zion Williamson-Duke game, which Duke ended up winning, so it was a moot point. But both times the security personnel with whom I spoke said, look, we know we're not going to prevent court storming. Our goal is to create those locked arm barrier right around the scorer's table and both benches so that the handshake line is a protected zone and then teams can exit through either tunnel on either end of the handshake line. And if you want that, it's easy. Wake Forest provides that potential setup because one exit is a yes where the students are going, but there's another that's right behind one of the benches yeah, that you the can Duke get bench. out. Behind that's the where Phil Pelsky went. We're, but I was saying, but that, like, he had to go in opposite direction of where the fans went. The fans are going, let's say, north, and he had to go east. And I don't know the exact directions I need to compass, but that 
that works for my analogy here because I can't point like this way, that way, because we're on radio. Yeah, it doesn't really work right now so, for us in the fast lane. But the point is, the court storming debate is one that he up. went against the grain of where the fans were going. Look, there's an e- there are easy ways to solve this though, and that's kind of what we're trying to get here in the fast lane when it comes to court storming. One is the idea of it being an all-out ban, but the other is the fact that when you have heavy fines and policies in place. Like we've seen with the SEC, where for football games, it'll be, you know, what, 50 to 100 grand. Uh, please forgive me for not knowing that conference's field or court storming rules. But it's substantial enough where it's in the best interest of those schools to hire the guards like we see at Tech and UVA basketball games that protect the handshake line. You have to pay a lot more in a fine than you do a number of those security guards to come out and protect the handshake line. And after the game, all the coaches and players know, get in the line, you are essentially protected. And you know, I know there may be some rogue fans out there, but for the most part, it's you can run on the court all you want and run around like a banshee in excitement, but you just can't go into that particular line. And that's the way the rule is set up. And we're not the only ones who think this, by the way, in the fast lane. Tony Bennett addressed this theory yesterday at the ACC or on the ACC midweek teleconference about how he believes things can be done to handle court storming and where the responsibilities ultimately fall. Either you better have great security and stop them from, you know, storming until the players clear the court. And I don't know if you have the manpower to do it or um, I don't know what other leagues are doing. Are they fine them or not? I mean, I, I, um, you know, we've been part of a lot of those where the court's been stormed on us, not this year, but uh, in, in years past. And, you know, sometimes it gets a little dicey. Thankfully, no one's gotten hurt. You've had people say stuff, bump a little bit, but you don't want, obviously, that to happen. So it's just got to come up. I mean, it, it's uh, that's their job to get it done, figure it out, whether we got to clear the court, then let them rush it or, or do it. But sometimes you can't control everything. But, you you know, now that this happened, and I know a lot of coaches have been, um, you know, concerned about this. Uh, maybe this will be the the thing that puts something in place. Well, I mean, Tony Bennett's not off that there should be ways in place, and it's not an easy solution. Um, On the one hand, I get the idea of, of court storm banning because there could be people that could get trampled over. But in a lot of cases, it's the students rushing on top of each other, and you're kind of protected when it comes to that setup. I don't know how it is in Blacksburg again, but in in Charlottesville, if you're handicap and excuse me if if the, the politically correct term is physically disabled if you want to correct us please do fast lane ed lane facebook twitter instagram i'm not totally up to date on what term is the proper one but we're going to go with physically handicapped just because it's the most traditional one and we're going to ride with that please forgive us again but if you're in that category i know in charlottesville your your assigned seating is generally at the top of the bowl area so you're not going to be protected you're excuse me you are protected because you're at the top of the lower level and most of the people storming the cord are beneath it but the way around it very easily is if you don't have the, the natural protection of an eight-foot drop in Blacksburg where if you're going to storm the court, it's going to take a moment to get down and therefore it kind of gives a warning to the coaches and players, hey, it's about to be a storm and get out of here. The, if you're not in that spot, have the handshake line protection like they do in Charlottesville and I guess to an extent as well in Blacksburg and it can matter a bunch. And again, this is a much bigger issue in basketball than it is in football because in football the players are padded and everybody can kind of fend for themselves and I mean if you run into a football player again good luck with that it's probably not going to end very well I, I like it in general because it's one of the cool things that makes college sports unique the emotion and the fan and the passion that come out but I do get the concern and even a coach like Mike Young 
who coaches in that aforementioned Castle Coliseum, does have his own reservations about continuing with the concept of court storming. I think it's unfortunate that situation Saturday with uh, with Kyle. Um, I don't like it. Uh, I would, uh, would like to see it um, forbidden and a heavy fine. I think I saw where LSU was fined $100,000. I think that's an SEC rule. Um, Mike, like everything else that pertains to the Atlantic Coast Conference, I have great faith in Jim Phillips and uh, and our leadership group uh, to uh, to get it right. I do not think it has any place in in college sports. It's dangerous for everyone involved. Um, so you know, uh, remains to be seen what uh, you know what what happens there. And that begs the other question of do you trust the leadership to figure out something in place given the reactionary nature of the ACC? That's a very viable and reasonable question and concern. Speaking of things involving the ACC, we'll get to that momentarily, but here's a little birdie in your ear. This Thursday is the leap year day. Leap day, I guess, is what it's called. I guess, you know, I mean, every day's got a specialty. So we're going to go with leap day. Is that right, Trey, for this Thursday? Leap day. Yes. February 29th comes around once every four years hit us up at fast lane ed lane on our social media platforms or the cbs sports radio lynchburg facebook page or the vtr in virginia talk radio network facebook page or any of our virginia talk radio network pages because there's a little special that's coming your way thursday at insaneradiodeals.com so just keep it locked to those spots you'll figure out what it is and you will have a chance to get something special thanks to insaneradiodeals.com speaking of the acc More of those topics that we get to address right now in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. 75 to 71 behind a career scoring night from R.J. Davis, the North Carolina Tarials warded off the Miami Hurricanes. And there are a couple of notes that uh, it seems like they're worth considering entering or exiting that contest. One is, did you really think that R.J. Davis would have a bounce back night? It probably was logical because Reese Beekman had held him scoreless Saturday in Charlottesville. And Reese Beekman's one of the best defenders in the ACC. The Miami Hurricanes clearly do not have anybody of that particular caliber. But then there's also the fact that Miami has got a couple of players in Wuga Poplar and Nigel Pack who were late scratches from this game. I can't help but wondering, again, you're talking about a Miami team that's not going to go to the NCAA tournament unless they win the ACC tournament championship a couple of weeks from now in Washington, D.C. But are we going to start to see more out of this for Miami? The amount of money that school always spends in name, image, and likeness means, in a lot of cases, you've got players who are generally motivated by selfish interests. And when things are going well, like last year, you get tremendous buy-in and it all gels together, and you can get a Final Four run, like Miami delivered last year. But oftentimes, the flip side to that NIL double-edged sword, if you will, is when things aren't going well, it's got a chance to get real dicey and real ugly down the stretch if that's the route you go. I guess you live by the sword and die by it, but it's just worth monitoring for Miami. Meanwhile, for North Carolina, their defense wasn't great last night. Um, You had a feeling they would get a little bit more production offensively, given their opponent wasn't Virginia, it was Miami, and that R.J. Davis was due for a bounce-back night, and boy, did he deliver for the Tar Heels in a career-scoring night as he guided Carolina uh, to a a fantastic night. 42 points for him. Um, 
Carolina is the best team. I get some of the questions that are out there about the heels, but ultimately they are finding a way to win these type of games over the stretch run of the season. And that Saturday to Monday turnaround is almost always a real challenge. Number four. Speaking of ACC basketball, Virginia Tech, they are on the road tonight at... Syracuse, 6.30 airtime, by the way, on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Um, This fits where we've kind of been with Virginia Tech. Winnable games against other teams that are not making the NCAA tournament, but road games have been a real struggle for Virginia Tech in particular this year. More so even than the Virginia who righted the ship up until a, a week or so ago when they lost at Virginia Tech. But for the Hokies themselves, road games have been a real struggle. Um, You know, again, I think it's less the buy-in for Virginia Tech men's basketball and more just the overall lack of scoring talent. Um, It'll be fascinating to discuss this probably more in the offseason with David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. But just looking back on the ACC basketball tip-off when Mike Young kind of downplayed the idea that the late departure from the Virginia Tech basketball team um, of, what's his name, right before the start of the season? Rodney Rice. Rodney Rice. Thank you, Trey. That that wouldn't be a big issue? Clearly it has, because other guys have played out of position and have been asked to do more offensively than what their skill set allows, which is ultimately why I do like Syracuse to win tonight. Road game, Virginia Tech. Offensive consistency clearly has been an issue. Number three. In the cautionary tale category here in the fast lane as we pivot from college basketball over to the NFL. Two things. One is this. Former Seattle Seahawks, and for a brief period, San Francisco 49ers cornerback Richard Sherman was arrested this past weekend and charged on suspicion of DUI in Washington State. Uh, Why? You're worth millions of dollars. You love to present yourself as this intellectually bright person. And yet, in 2024... I'm not talking about 2004 pre-ride-sharing services, but 2024, when you have them at your disposal and you have enough money to ask somebody to drive the car for you, you are getting a DUI. And again, I get it. Plenty of people out there have pushed the limit in questionable situations and times, and I understand that. But in a lot of cases, that was BRS, before ride-share. And now you have ride share and you can pay money for somebody else to take that for you so that you can drink as much as you want and not have to worry about driving. And you're Richard Sherman disregarding that for a man who loves to position himself and the people around him love to position him as this intellectually brilliant person. He might be that, but this was clearly not a very brilliant decision for Richard Sherman. However, one that may be even more scary is the bigger cautionary tale. Former Las Vegas, and at the time, Oakland Raiders cornerback, Damon Arnett. Chalk it up to another brilliant John Gruden draft pick, I might add. But he was arrested January 6th, and it's come out now at 3.30 a.m. when he was arrested. He was charged with unlawful carrying of a firearm, but more importantly, possession of less than a gram of meth. Um, Newsflash, possession of less than a gram of weed is generally not that big of a deal. There are plenty of athletes who do that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you know, there are plenty of them that do it and it doesn't affect their overall livelihood and behavior. When you're a player who's been known to have erratic behavior, couldn't seem to stick in the NFL, and never seemed to fall in line with the structure of any organization, including the John Gruden Raiders, not exactly the bastion of great discipline and structure themselves, um, really? 
you know, this is the route you end up going, it might make things a lot more clearly, but oftentimes, you know, I've watched enough episodes of Cops and Intervention to realize that weed is one thing, but generally speaking, people that have meth and heroin problems, usually, if you're involved in either one of those, usually there's a much bigger issue at work than just that. Number three. No, not, not number three. Number two. According to Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal, NASCAR, they are offering to extend the charter system for seven years, which would be concurrent with the new media rights agreement with Fox, Turner, Amazon Prime, and NBC slash USA. This according to sources quoted by Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. He is as plugged in as anyone when it comes to the business of motorsports. Uh, the teams want the charters to become permanent, but apparently are open to something resembling a quote evergreen in quote status, which is a middle ground where they're basically permanent if they meet NASCAR's conditions. It appears we're getting closer to a an agreement where NASCAR can have some level of stability in terms of its business operations, think of charters to NASCAR, essentially what a franchise is to another sport. You own a charter, you basically have a franchise to get into NASCAR. I know it's a little bit different because some teams have multiple charters and multiple cars because of that, but it's it's as close to an equivalent as you can get in NASCAR. It appears ultimately when it comes to their business, they're getting closer to a deal that makes some level of sense. And we're not talking the Kenny Powers kind. Dollar, dollar. Completely, at least. We're talking some financial sense and business structure sense as well. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. Old Dominion coach Jeff Jones first told the Field of 68 yesterday, and then it was confirmed by David Hill of Richmond.com and others, that he is retiring. He has said that he feels much better and that some of the decreased stress in his life has come since stepping away from basketball to tend to his health issues. Look, this is a guy that had cancer. He's had a number of other health issues that have popped up over the last couple of years. Good for him for assessing his personal health in this situation. It's harder to have that balance now than ever before because you're constantly recruiting your own roster and dealing with the transfer portal and having to replace guys that might leave your roster. Fascinating nugget, though, because this from David Hill of Richmond.com, where he says that former ODU player and former Virginia Tech assistant coach, now an assistant at Maryland, Mike Jones, is one of the potential candidates to take over for Jeff Jones. No relation. Uh, He's very well plugged in on the recruiting trail as Mike Jones. He'd be the perfect candidate to tap into a passionate fan base down there in Norfolk for ODU. And because of his connections to DeMatha and the D.C. basketball scene, he'd be a great fit for bounce-back talented players who maybe didn't pan out at their first stop in college, but are looking for a next stop. That's a very good under-the-radar hire and could fit with what we discussed yesterday with Shane Metlin of the Harrison Burke Daily News Record about this being a sleeper job at ODU. Uh, it doesn't mean Mike Jones will get the job, former Virginia Tech and current Maryland assistant, but David Teal, I think, is spot on on why that is a logical choice to take over at ODU. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, speaking of former coaches, Muffin McGraw, former college basketball coach herself, she'll touch on the Virginia Tech Lady Hokies and keep your thoughts coming to Fast Lane Ed Lane wherever you listen to podcasts and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because we'll get to that 545-ish today here in the Fast Lane.